Thank you very much. That's Griffin Vertigo. We kicked off today with Tom Jones and the Cardigans with their Brill cover of Burning Down the House. Well, well, it's 13 minutes past 12 o'clock for a Friday afternoon. Let me invite you to join us on Facebook Live to say hi to Marshy. Whilst you do that, let me remind you that Danny Hicks is live from the build-up to the Asian Games. He's in Hangzhou, and we'll come to him in an hour and a bit. Anyway, it's time to say hi to our friends, see what's going on in the world of movies. And as James said earlier on, don't get too excited today. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I- I'm surviving considering uh, what I've had to watch this week. You've had to watch so just to just to tease it for you yeah. I, saw, I saw you wrote something for the SEMP online and I had to stop myself because you slammed something mm. you just completely chucked it out Blah. and I sla- I just wanted to say well please don't give me 10 minutes I won't be able to get back tomorrow are we are we doing that thing that you completely pasted you'll get you'll get you will get 10 minutes of prime radio well, I don't on need that to because you said it's a load of rubbish on Facebook whatever the film was anyway I guess we'll find out well that's it you know we can't assume that the entirety of our audience uh, was on my Facebook page, let alone click the link. So whenever he gets to it, know that it's rubbish. So however he gilds this lily, it's pants. I don't even know what it is. I can't remember it was so bad. Well, it's one of those weeks where it could apply to, to one or more of the films that I'll be talking about. So what we have this week is uh, Expendables. Oh, yeah. Or expend four balls, uh, depending on how it's written. They, they turn the A into a four, you know, the way they do with these things sometimes. Right. Uh, so it's, it's the fourth Expendables movie. So that is out. Uh, we have um, Helen Mirren in Golda, biopic of the Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir. Yeah. Uh, we also have No More Bets, big Chinese um, thriller about uh, cyber scamming. Uh, and then on Netflix, we have the uh, cheesy rom-com Love at First Sight. Right, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> so make a cup of tea. And, uh, join us on Facebook Live and join in with yes. the panning. Why not? Well, I'll try and be as fair and balanced as possible. No, and yet, no need to change. Uh, okay. Was Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am what I am. So we'll start with, uh, with Golda. Which, as I said, is a new biopic of the Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir, uh, here portrayed by uh, the Oscar-winning uh, Helen Mirren. Yeah, you know who is you know always good value, pretty much in whatever she does, Hello. unless it's a sh- unless it's a Shazam sequel or a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> but hey, we've we've all got grandchildren to put through college, I suppose. Um, so I don't know about you, but. Oh, I know. I knew who Golda Meir was, yeah. But I didn't know a great deal more than that. And Q Howard in three, two. <laughs> I actually had the distinct pleasure of watching this uh, with Howard, and right. uh, we landed pretty much on the same page about that. So that was that was good. Um, I knew she was, you know, a, a female Israeli prime minister. She was something of a battle axe, an iron lady, if you like, of uh, Israeli politics. Uh, you know, and and as is not uncommon for women in her position at that, certainly at that time, if not still today, you know, it was her against a room full of men, you know, many of whom were raised through the military. And, um, 
and what have you. So, you know, there was that angle to contend with on top of, you know, whatever her political stance might be on anything. This focuses on the, the Yom Kippur War of 1973 and of a hearing. Uh, it's framed through a hearing later when she is sort of grilled on her stance and on her, the decisions that she made, uh, which very nearly resulted in forces from, I believe it was, uh, Egypt and Syria from both sides mm. uh, marching into Israel. And, you know, they, they you know, came out of it only marginally unscathed uh, through help from the US in the form of Henry Kissinger, yeah. who obviously, uh, as he says at one point, he was like, you know, what do you say? I'm Secretary of State first. I'm an American second. I'm uh, I'm a Jew third was was one of the lines from from the film, but but obviously he has been very instrumental. And you know what? He's still alive. It's crazy. Henry Kissinger is still alive, and he's like a hundred years old. Up. I believe he just turned a hundred years old. And here he's portrayed by uh, Leif Schreiber, who's always he's always good value. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. So I came into this not knowing much about Golda the person, not knowing really anything about the Yom Kippur War and not knowing a great deal about Israeli politics or politics of that region really at all. And I have to say, uh, 105 minutes later, I don't really feel I know a great deal more. Let's say hi to Steve who says, gild that lily, Marshy. Gild that lily. <laughs> I, I shall. I do try. Uh, so, you know, what you get is a fairly austere, fairly drab, fairly sort of sepia-tinted movie about... Grumpy middle-aged people smoking profusely, uh, incessantly, continuously As through every did, single scene. I suppose, well, know. yeah, you know, and one one element of the film because the film does have a sort of fractured timeline. It does jump backwards and forwards, and you do see that she is receiving uh, at at a later point. Um, well, the point chemotherapy. I was going to say, Marshy, the point is that isn't that sort of what helped finish her off. Well, yeah, and and the, the film goes to great lengths to show she's yes, literally she's lying. She's going to die of smoking. We're just going to build that up. That's that's a very prominent part of the film. There, you know, there are literal scenes of her, you know, getting chemo whilst having, having a, tab a tab at the same time. <laughs> she's on her deathbed with an oxygen mask off, which she removes, puts the cigarette in, and then and then moves back. And they they do try and uh, eke a, a little bit of humour out of those moments because otherwise they would be completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of, you know, hand-wringing and hands being thrown up in the air when Helen Mirren was cast as Golda Meir because she's not Jewish. Uh, and that's I the was whole thing. Do you know what? I, was look I, I, I saw the poster for this online and I'm like, here we go. <clears throat> and I went looking for just this. And actually, I didn't have much yeah. luck. I didn't have much luck. Well, I think it was it, it, it was announced at a time when this was in the press everywhere. You know, where you in unless you're you were exactly the same as the character you're portraying, you weren't allowed to portray that character. Yeah. You know, and and this is going to ebb and flow. And you know, there is a there are circumstances. There are always going to be circumstances when that's a very reasonable request. Uh, there are always going to be circumstances when it, you're going a little bit too far. Um, very I think, silly. To the films, uh, you know, it, it, it turns out that that Helen Mirren being involved in this movie is the best thing that could have possibly happened to this movie. I think uh, were Helen Mirren not in this movie, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about okay. the movie today. This is 
this is one of those films there's a long lot prestigious history of this kind of movie where you have a big fairly overblown fairly makeup heavy uh <coughs> central central performance yeah in that 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 you know garners a lot of attention occasionally even garners oscars think iron lady with mel streep think the darkest hour with gary oldman in an otherwise fairly flimsy fairly dull movie and right. that is very much the case with golda all right so uh, forget about it no spark i believe is the quote <clears throat> well yeah and that's absolutely um that's absolutely fair the, you know the biggest problem is that i came away knowing almost nothing more than i knew going in and that is uh, a failure on the part of a biopic a historical biopic in my eyes and so there you have it all right then so nah Mm -hmm, <laughs> and all that stuff join us on facebook live he's having a coughing fit right now join us on facebook live while he does that the brew is the page love to hear from you films like this tend to get people going for one reason and another i mean the irony is she is a brilliant actress um end of day you can't argue there can you no i mean she's great and uh you know by and large, she's brilliant in everything she does, and she turn, you know, she does the work, and she's putting in, a, you know, a sterling effort again here, and she really does make you interested and invested in a character uh, who is obviously quite controversial and problematic and polarizing and all of those things. Hmm. Um, it's the film, it's the film that she's in that's the problem. Fair enough. <clears throat> what do you think? Love to hear your comments. Facebook Live, the brew is the page. Actually, really would love to hear your comments. Steve also says, "Grumpy middle-aged people smoking incessantly." Sign me up. Okay, fine. Or oh, just uh... okay, fine. I tell you what, there was an interesting thing here. You, I, I, you know, very often when we've seen films about historical events to do with the Israeli government, Israel, etc., it always involves these really sort of rock-hard Mossad going Mossad guys going to you know going to the Middle East and knocking off terrorists. And, yeah. You know, but no, not this one. It's like Ina Sharples with <laughs> with a red button. Well, the great. One of the best examples of that is is Munich, of course, That's the brilliant. Steven Spielberg movie with Eric Eric Banner and uh, Daniel Craig, a pre-Bond Daniel Craig in that. Uh, that's a great movie, and you know, and that's got does a really good job of uh, capturing that kind of uh, '70s vibe uh, of exactly that, you know, because Mossad, uh, you know, they're they're tough as they don't mess around. Guys, do they? Israeli, <laughs> the Israeli sort of secret service. Um, do I mean Secret Service? I mean uh, spies, whatever, whatever you call their spies, spy yeah. network, and they're great. Um, movies like that are great. There's, there was another one called um, was Entebbe? Was that yeah, Mossad as Raid well? Yeah, Raid on Entebbe. Yeah, yeah, it's it's about the um, the high, you know the uh, the hijack flight that then gets that's landed yeah. in Uganda because everybody's think waiting for the guys asylum. to come in in their Land Rovers. You know, you're just waiting for that <clears> moment <throat> when they breach the windows and bang, 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 and everything. Of course, of course, it's a good film. <laughs> And of course, you know, while we're talking about it, one day in September is the fantastic documentary about the Munich uh, hostage crisis at mm. the Olympics, um, which does it, I think, better than than any movie does. So uh, yeah, check those out. Uh, you know, this one, you know, while obviously it talks about some kind of Mossad-related stuff, it's not well, really well, I mean, front I'm, and centre. Uh, completely random what I said, but those are the kind of films we've seen before. This no, time. really? Okay. <laughs> Face. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on then. Let's Please, move on. Um, another there's rubbish a movie, movie. There is a movie on Netflix called Love at First Sight. Oh, yeah. Which oh, is exactly gosh. what it sounds oh, like. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. what it sounds like. And so I wasn't going to bother with it. 
But I bothered with it for two reasons, and I'll be completely transparent about the two reasons that I watched it. Actually, three reasons. One, I needed another movie to talk about today because I only had three. Secondly, it's it's number one on Netflix right now. Oh, well, that's hardly an indication. I'm I'm merely being transparent. And the third reason is that my old mate from the UK, Luke Bryan, is the cinematographer on it. And I found that out yesterday. Here we go. It's wonderful. This film is shot beautifully. It's the the best film of the year. (laughs) And and, and everybody should see it and it should win all the No. What I will say is, well done, Luke. It looks really nice. However. Uh, It's it's shot mainly in London. You know, it's it's a a rom-com about uh, a girl called Hadley, played by uh, Hayley Lou Richardson, uh, who misses her flight from JFK to London, where she's going for her father's uh, second wedding. Yeah. He moved He moved a few years earlier to Oxford to teach poetry. Uh, that r- ruptured uh, his, fam- his, his marriage, and he has, is since now getting remarried. And she hasn't really spoken to him since. It's a little bit of a problematic situation. But uh, she's going anyway. Um, she misses her flight, and she's forced onto the next flight where there's only a business class seat available. Wouldn't you know it? The guy sitting next to her oh. is this very charming English lad called uh, Oliver, yeah, it's played be by Ben Hardy. They they hit it off on the flight, uh, but then they are immediately separated on arrival in London. They don't get they fail to get each other's numbers, and off they go. She goes off to a wedding. He goes off to uh, another event, a family event that he has right. in that, which she which she believes is is also a wedding. And the movie is merely just all set on that day of her, uh, you know, trying I'm just to... waiting for you to say blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I'm waiting for you to go down. Well, I'm waiting for you, actually, to interrupt and say, boring, does what it says on the tin, let's move on. Uh, which, is absolute, which is absolutely true. Um, you, what, what is interesting is people you like, uh, Dexter Fletcher and Sally Phillips, play Oliver's parents. Well, they are, they are really good. They are very, they're good in absolutely everything. Uh, Jamila Jamil plays a kind of sort of Greek chorus like narrator who pops up as a different character in almost every scene, narrating the course of events to, to the audience. It is all about fate. Well no, done. That's what the character is, is called. It's a fate. The person who does that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Good. Yes. Thank you. It is that. <laughs> It says, they say at the beginning of the film, this is not a film about love, this is a film about fate. And it's based on a very popular novel called, in, in certain young people's circles, called uh, The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight. They have shortened that, but it's very much, Oliver's got a coping mechanism where he number crunches absolutely everything and, right. and tries to analyse the statistical probability because he doesn't like surprises for very good emotional re- reasons. What I'll say is... It's you know, this is absolutely just another rom-com. Yeah, well, what do you uh, know? You know the, the, and, you know, the characters are drawn very broadly, but the two leads are likeable enough. It goes exactly where you know it's going to go. There are no surprises really at all throughout. But, you know what? It's fairly harmless. You know, if you are it's vulnerable... It's not what you're here for, to say a movie's harmless. <clears throat> is it if nice? If you are vulnerable to... It's nice. If you're vulnerable to a little bit of a little bit of schmaltz, yeah. a little bit of sentimentality, you get bucket loads of that, you yeah. know, and occasionally okay, you know, occasionally that that lands. Where that, where does it where does it rate on the hallmark scale? It's very hallmarky. Oh gosh. Right in the middle, square in the middle of the <laughs> hallmarky. Um 
you know, what I can, as I said, what I can say is, you know, it's still set in and around London, some very recognisable scenery. Uh, it's all set on one day, supposedly in the run up to Christmas. So London arguably is looking at its most Londony uh, with all the lights and everything. And well done, Luke, mate. You actually shot it really well. It looks, it does. It looks great. It looks great. And if it, if it didn't, I wouldn't even be talking about it because I wouldn't want to say anything nasty. But yeah. I can say something nice, so I will. This is this. What you've just mentioned is the rest of the play, Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very good. All right. Yeah, this is what you missed. Yeah. Um, all I can say is it's perfectly fine. You know, and if you're into rom-coms, uh, check it out because it's it's a perfectly decent example oh, of one. Please. If your mate wasn't on the crew, you'd be saying all sorts of things. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't have watched it. it I'll be I'll completely. I wouldn't even have watched it. And if I did watch it because he was it, he was involved in it, and it wasn't any good, I wouldn't have said anything at all about it. I wouldn't oh, have but brought that's it up. Dissing but... the public by doing that? <clears throat> no, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, but it's fine, you know. It's not going to win anybody over to the uh, genre of rom coms. No, but it's uh, it's out there. It's number one on Netflix, and it's yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, Tommy, we watched Love at First Sight a couple of nights ago. It's watchable. Oh come on. That's exactly what I said. It's it's it's, yeah. it's, right, it's just there. It's right there. <laughs> what I will ask: Did you did you think it looked nice? Was it nice, Tommy? Did it look nice? <laughs> yeah. All right then. Listen, we've got to go to the news really quickly. What are we going to get to afterwards? Uh, Expendables four and no more bets. So this is probably will be done by twenty to one today. By the tone of your voice, is that about right? Yeah. Uh depends how many times you interrupt me. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt at all. Just, just a... right. Anyway, well, then we'll be done. But we'll be done by 35. Join us on yeah. Facebook. Let me cover him up. Hang on. Join <laughs> us on Facebook Live if you can. Morning Brew. No. Brew is the page. Oh, I miss Morning Brew. Anyway, let's get to the. <laughs> Twenty-eight minutes to one o'clock. It is the brew for a Friday. Still with Marshy. Join us on Facebook Live if you can. Be bothered. The brew is our page. What do you want to do if, now? If you dare. Yeah. Uh, let's do Expendables Four or Expend Four Balls, as they uh, as they write it. Um, yeah. So you know the Expendables franchise, right? You know, yeah. old uh, crusty old action stars go go one more time around the block. Uh, this franchise, let's get right into it. This franchise has never quite accomplished what it set out to accomplish. Yeah. You know, it was always seen as, you know, the first one came out in 2010 and it was supposed to be a kind of riposte to the fact that all these big Hollywood blockbusters at the time were just going, leaning so hard into CGI and 3D and flimsy special effects. And they were like, no, what we need Good old is fashion. a back to. Is, yeah. Exactly. Back to basics. So, you know, um, all beef, lunk-headed, practical effects, real stunts, action. Uh, and we're going to get all of your, your favorite stars from the 80s back. And we're going we're gonna to tell a story like that. But immediately, and we're going to call it The Expendables because, you know, we're over the hill or whatever. But immediately you ra they ran into a problem because right. you've got Stallone and, you, and you've got um, Schwarzenegger in and you've got uh, Dolph Lundgren back and, and all the rest of it. But immediately you realize that actually these, these actors aren't expendable. Their egos and their agreements off screen won't allow them to die in these movies, let alone be killed by each other. 
there's a very real thing behind the scenes in these kind of movies. Really? It's like uh, someone like someone like Van Damme is like, well, no, I cannot, I cannot die at the hands of Jason Statham on screen. You know, that's just that's just not good for my for my brand and for my ego and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so it kind of immediately was was wrong footed. And you know, despite the fact that they'd gone to uh, Millennium uh, Entertainment, which is essentially uh, what canon films used to be, which was like that the home of all of these kind of sort of trashy eighties exploitation action movies back. Jerry Action, uh, so, as Greg has reminded me just now. Yes, yes, the, the franchise is Jerry Action, and in the meantime, while they were doing this, you got people like Liam Neeson, who was going out on his own and doing like Taken and what have you, and and uh, being far more successful at it. With every um, new chapter in this franchise mm-hmm. it seems like to be sort of diminishing returns uh they're kind of running out of legitimate sort of big action stars or they're choosing not to work with them for one reason or another steven seagal uh or um i think there's a very good reason the... for people not wanting to work with steven there seagal is. which i really won't be saying here and now on the air there are there are i remember reading something that apparently jackie chan got the hump because he wasn't asked to be part of it. Jet Li was asked instead. And then, uh, you know, there was talk of like Donnie Yen being in one of them. But, you know, so there's, it's it's been a problem right from the very beginning. And with each uh, chapter, the production seems to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, inevitably meaning that they're having to rely increasingly on kind of green screen and subpar CGI and all of the things that they were supposedly pushing back against. And ironically, in the meantime, yeah. the big tentpole action blockbusters, your Bond, Fast and Furious, Mission Impossible, even John Wick. John Wick is probably the best example of what the Expendables wanted to be, but but didn't. John Wick is all practical effects, proper stunts, proper martial arts with real talent right. in front of the screen. And so basically, yeah, so the Expendables became everything that it was set up to oppose. Uh, Ironically, in the meantime, all of these big blockbusters are are reverting to big practical effects and proper stunts and all the rest of it, Uh, just because it's it's expensive to do that these days. And so only someone like Tom Cruise can actually get it done or James Bond can get it done uh, because uh, they're willing to sort of forego all of the insurance uh, issues and what have you that these smaller movies can't afford to do. Mm. Uh, So we get to Expendables 4. Uh, suffice to say, on a mission, uh, one of their team uh, is killed. One of their team dies, and everybody points to Lee Christmas, Jason Statham's character, and says, it's your fault, uh, so you're off the team. So he's out out on his own. Jason Statham is out on his own. The rest of the team are like, okay, we're going to go and find out who was responsible for the death of our teammate, while Jason Statham, albeit on his own, is like, I'm going to go off and see who who is responsible for my teammate. So they both head off independently of one another to uh, to solve the, or to catch the, the person responsible for killing a very prominent member of their team. Uh, as is always the case in these movies, you have new additions. Uh, you've got returning characters like, uh, you know, obviously J- um, Jason Statham and Stallone are there. You've got Dolph Lundgren. Uh, you've got uh, Randy Couture. They're, they're back for more. Megan Fox. Who plays uh, Statham's on again, off again love interest is part of the team now, uh, which is kind of interesting. You've seen her do a little bit of action stuff recently, uh, but generally in not very good movies. But she's actually not the problem here. Uh, 50 Cent 
shows up in this one. Uh, the big draw for me, Andy Garcia is in it, playing a character called Marsh, I must say. And that's always a delight to have uh, characters like Sylvester Stallone yeah. and Jason Statham shaking their fish and going, grr, Marsh, grr. You know, that was kind of triggering in all the right ways. We're moving, um, we're moving. We are, we are moving. The big draw for me was the fact we got Tony Jaa and Eco Weiss in there, two of the big martial, new martial arts stars of the 21st century from uh, Thailand and Indonesia, respectively. Uh, and they are largely wasted, sadly. Eco Weiss actually plays like the the main villain, and he he is known as you know a great martial artist, but he is given very little opportunity to actually do any martial arts. I wonder if this was one of those things in the contract where they say I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be upstaged by a kickboxer or whatever. I think he is, he is, a, well, that's why, that's why they cast him as the villain, you know, so that he will have a showdown with whoever is the lead. And actually Jason Statham's pretty much the lead of this one, this movie. So you're expecting, okay. And you know, Jason Statham can do some martial arts or at least make it look like he can very, very competently. Uh, so you're waiting for the big showdown between him and Eco Weiss. And it never quite really emerges. Or sequel, with Tony sequel, John, sequel. that never. Or. Well, this is already quadruple, number four. Quadruple, <laughs> whatever. Right. So this is very much, um, you know, the result of this law of diminishing returns, where you've got um, characters in there who don't really fit the description of what the franchise originally was. You've got characters who are underutilized and arguably their talents are wasted. Uh, you've got a budget which now really cannot... Uh, prop up the uh, the ambition of the project, leading to something that's very flimsy and feels very uh, cheap and artificial. And uh, at the end of the day, they they are the one thing that they are achieving at this point is all looking very old and very tired. Fair enough. I knew that was coming, but well done. Thank you very much. I had stuff to say. And you said. Uh, uh, all right, let's move on. Yeah, please. Yeah. Today, yeah. Okay. in fact, today. That would be really good. <laughs> okay, well, so today is, is convenient for me, so let's do yeah, that. Yeah, why not? Okay, so No no More Bats is a big new Chinese sort of uh, thriller ripped from the headlines, if you like, as uh, directed by Shen Ao and produced by Ning Hao, who's a big uh, mainland filmmaker. And essentially, you've all read the headlines of these um, – sort of sweatshop turned prison camp style uh, call centers in Myanmar and other, uh, you know, hostile corners of Southeast Asia where unsuspecting tourists, a lot of Chinese, uh, but people from wherever have been kidnapped, taken at gunpoint to these remote hell holes and forced to call you here in Hong Kong and elsewhere incessantly day and night offering you all kinds of scams. Mm -hmm. Right, we've all we've all read the stories, and this is essentially dramatizing uh, one of them. You got, and that follows a number of different characters. Right. You've got Pan, played by uh, Zhang Zhang Yixing, who, after being passed over for promotion at his job, he answers an ad for a really high-paying gig in Singapore. <laughs> Red flag. Yeah. Uh, so flying from flying from China to Singapore, they stop off in this fictional Southeast Asian country, which looks across between Macau and Myanmar, depending on where you are, whether you're in the city or in the jungle, um, for a 10-hour layover. And you're like, well, the geography doesn't map out, but okay, I I'm still with you. And, and during this time, him and another of unsuspecting candidates you know, led down an alleyway where they're all kidnapped and taken away. With how did they, hang on, how did they get to the alleyway in the first place? How did they agree to go down said alleyway? Well, they had a... They had a yeah, they had a 10-hour layover with a representative from the company oh, right. uh, who was like, come on, I'm going to take you to a girly bar. 
essentially. So basically, it's all because they were they were tempted by the promise of a girly bar that they were led down the wrong alleyway, and then obviously the the guy was in on it, and he, and he you know they all end up yep. at this prison camp place where they're forced to write code uh do sort of online betting and um prey on uh unsuspecting uh people you've also got a guy called tian played by wang talu who is out in the real world and he is a gambler and uh, that destroys his life because he is led astray but particularly by a very pretty woman who is a, an online croupier her name is anna she's played by uh Chen Jin, mm-hmm. uh, who Pan meets while he's at the camp. She used to be a model until her likeness was used against her will in sort of marketing illegal scams. And so she's dumped. Her career is uh, is burnt and she has to take a dodgy job in the wrong part of the world. And right. she ends up. At this. So it's all of these kind of stories of like people do the wrong thing and they end up uh, at this camp run by uh, the main guy who is called Lou, uh, played by Wang Chang Jun, who models himself almost as like Jordan Belfort from the Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, albeit holding a gun to your head at the same time. Yeah. It's a very weird setup where, you know, it's a, as I said, it's essentially sort of a sweatshop prison camp. Great idea. Great premise, actually. Well, okay, so let's cut to the chase. This Please. movie is terrible. That's the one. It's That's the one. Absolutely. Absolutely flat out terrible. The bizarre thing is, I was quite curious to see this because this opened in mainland China uh, about a month ago. It has made over five hundred million US dollars at the mainland box office. It's been the, like the big runaway hit of the year. Uh, it's this obviously this great cautionary tale um, about the dangers of online scamming. It's it's the most blatant and cynical piece of vacuous scaremongering I have seen in a long time. It's sort of savagely xenophobic it's basically telling the audience you know don't trust anybody don't go to any of these other countries Stay because in. you're gonna get kidnapped and ripped mm. off stay at home don't answer your phone don't gamble uh you know don't do anything naughty uh but thankfully uh we do have the chinese police force the mainland chinese police force and it turns into in the third act this big sort of propaganda thing about these heroes literally riding in on white horses just kind of save the day and you're kind of like okay you know this wasn't earned i don't feel that this is a justifiable like third act of the movie you've just kind of crowbarred this in uh, and what the most annoying thing about the film is that you know you've got none of these characters are likable or sympathetic or right. in any way that's probably quite a big part of it actually <laughs> which is a it. big yeah. part of it so all of these bad things are happening to these characters but the movie is saying all of these characters are bad don't be like any of these oh, characters, I or, see or you only saying. have yourself. They don't want you to like to them or empathise with them. Well, it makes it makes the movie really difficult to watch because you're like, well, whose side am I on? Mm. You know, there's no one in the movie to sympathise with, or to empathise with, or even to root for, really. So uh, the only person that's going to be watching this film is you, because you probably had to, so you could say about it today. Well, me and everybody in China, by the looks of it, you know, it's made so much money in China. Like everybody flocked to see it. Uh, it, It's quite remarkable. But I guess, you know, when, you know, if it's if it's been very well publicized and certainly I was up in Shanghai just two weeks ago and it was it's everywhere. Well, the idea sounds great. I mean, actually, I've never heard. It does sound great. It it actually does. And that's, that's kind of the most frustrating thing is because over the closing credits, you have all of these real life. Um, interviews oh, with yeah. of real victims of the real scams and you know their faces are blurred and their voices have been changed but and I'm watching the end credits and you're like okay clearly a lot of research has gone into this you know yeah. a lot of very earnest and thorough research I would have far rather 
watched a documentary, documentary about these people and they're investigating their very specific real world uh uh you know ordeals that they've gone through rather than this completely histrionic over the top uh un- to the point of it being completely unrealistic mm. uh sort of edge of your feet seat melodramatic thrill ride which it just fact you know it's it's just yet another one of these sort of big big mainland movies that at the end of the day just wants to like big up big up the sort of uh you know the the the, the, the chinese police more than anything it's just they're the heroes you know, they just come riding in, and there's a weird thing towards the end where they're like, "Well, we can't just storm in. We don't have a um, we don't have a search warrant." And they need horses, they though, don't they? White horses. <laughs> they do, they they do. And in the end, um, the way that they get round that, you're just like, "Well, that's surely that they're not allowed to do that either." Uh, but it's, it's anyway. So it's, I found it incredibly, I found it incredibly sort of un, unsatisfying. Yeah, I think, uh, and and a real, a real waste of a real opportunity to address a very real pressing concern that we all here in Hong Kong even have to deal with every single day. I don't know how many spam calls you get a day. I'm, just, I'm, I'm on one now. Me. I'm on a spam Zoom Yay, call now. Hey, there he is. <laughs> so 